so my wife is going wilderness camping. I'm doing the brave thing by staying home, letting her brave the cold herself. That's very shiver, shiverless of me, or shiverless of me. That's the wrong word, but we'll go with it. Into the wild. Got a little bit of a ring. Into the wild. Christopher McCandless was 22 years old when he decided to hitchhike into the Alaskan wilderness and live off the land. In April of 1992, he arrived on an old mining road called the Stampede Trail. He set up camp in an abandoned bus which he used as a shelter. By August of that same year, he was found dead. His body only weighed 66 pounds when he was found. The cause of death was officially classified as starvation. His life would later serve as both an inspiration and a warning for many. Chris was born into a wealthy family. He graduated university and became an avid outdoorsman. He donated most of his savings to charity and rejected the luxuries of his upbringing. He completed several lengthy trips before he decided to relocate in the Alaskan wilderness. He had discovered that his father had been living a double life with another wife and kids living several states away. Some speculate that this was the cause that Chris did in rejecting his upbringing and even his own birth name, by, and then he changed it to Alex, to the hitchhikers who helped him head north. There seems to be something romantic and noble about living in the wilderness, but there's something dangerous about it too. The supporters of Chris McCandless said that he died by being poisoned by a kind of berry that had not yet been classified as a paralytic. Critics say that he was unprepared and reckless, that he died due to his own arrogance. What happened to end his life remains somewhat of a mystery, but the movie Into the Wild would go on to capture Christopher's mythic, idealistic spirit. Now hikers sometimes make pilgrimage to the same bus he lived and died in. I want to show you a clip from the movie. Now, I guess I want to make this clear is that every time I bring a movie up, <laughs> I'm not necessarily endorsing what is all in the movie, okay? But I want to, now when I play the clip, this isn't to endorse the movie, it's when Chris is still hiking towards Alaska, earning money for his trip by selling books along the road. A girl meets, he meets a girl and, invite, and she invites him to travel to Salvation Mountain, a local tourist attraction. And he meets someone who is thriving in the wilderness. Hi. Hi.
Are you selling these books? I am. We are. He was. <laughs> I like to read. Do you? Yeah. That's good. Um, I heard you play your song last night. I'm terrible. <laughs> you are not terrible. You seem sweet. Thank you. Um, I was gonna go take a walk to Salvation Mountain. You wanna go? Okay. A lot of tourists come in here and they look at that uh, car door up there. They, they really like it. <laughs> and I found car doors and put them up there and I, and I bolted it all in. Where'd you get the telephone poles? Oh, a lot of people in the valley just love me a lot. Everybody now, I think, in the whole world is just loving me. And, and I want to have the wisdom to love them back. And uh, <laughs> that's about it. So I really get excited. You really believe in love then? Yeah, totally. And this is a, a love story that is staggering to everybody in the whole world. That God really loves us a lot. I don't know, does that answer that? Yeah. Good. <laughs> I really love it here. I, I think the freedom of this place is just so beautiful. To me, I, I wouldn't move for $10 million unless I had that. <laughs> so I'm contented here in the desert and I'm living where I want to live. And uh, I think good gets better. And uh, I think those great big tanks there were the sewer plant for the Marine base in World War II. If you want to, you can try putting your hands in there. And uh, I'm going to do the same thing, just for the fun. <laughs> hey, you're doing real good. The point is that life in the kingdom is all about thriving in the middle of the wilderness. Life in the kingdom is all about thriving in the middle of the wilderness. You see, we're sometimes impressed and inspired by those who face harsh elements. Their bravery and courage help put their lives, put our lives into perspective. We kind of put people that do these ridiculous or awesome things or things out of the ordinary, and we kind of put them on a pedestal, but they also bring our lives into perspective. So let me just give you an example of that. Um, the coffee we drink. I asked about someone's coffee this morning. They don't mind a good garage-type coffee that's been sitting there for the last two or three days sometimes. I, I, I worked with a pastor one time that every day he just added more grounds to the batch <laughs> that he had the day before. No joke. He just wanted it reheated. That's the way he liked his coffee. 
It started to make your spoon stand up. Kind of rot the stainless steel off of it. But, but, you know, you can complain about a bad cup of coffee, but when Bear Gillis drank water squeezed out of animal poop, who are we to complain? The Garden of Eden was a place of peace and safety in the middle of a hostile planet. This is why Adam and Eve had to fill the earth and subdue it. The adventurous spirit is built into our very humanity. And Christians now believe God has began a new creation in the middle of the world's barrenness. God did not wait until He got our act together. He came in the fullness of time into a spiritual wilderness and He created a growing oasis. The kingdom is a grand spiritual adventure. It's about going into the spiritual wilderness of the world around us and making it hospitable and kind. The Gospel of Mark makes this explicit at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The same spirit which drove Jesus into the wilderness is calling out into the wilderness. God doesn't want you or I to be dry and barren. God wants you to heal the dry and barren places. Your co-workers can't stop complaining. You're there to be a voice of honor in a wasteland of gossip. Your family can't be reconciled. You're there to be a presence of forgiveness in a wasteland of resentment. Your financial needs are overwhelming. You still meant to be a picture of generosity and blessing in a wasteland of selfish competition and consumption. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 32 says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed into his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus compares the kingdom to a mustard seed that eventually overgrows everything else. You were planted in the desert for a reason, but you will not thrive there until you learn to embrace the difficulty is part of your calling. You aren't meant to just survive, but to thrive. Let me say that again. You're not meant to just survive, but to thrive. You're not meant to just survive, but to thrive. But you first have to recognize that you're in the wilderness. This is what a spiritual wilderness looks like. It's everyone's caught up in the material comforts, trying to make their lives as rich as they can. This is called the wilderness of consumerism. People aren't as loving and sacrificial 
as they think they are, this is the wilderness of self-centeredness. We arrange our relationships around what best suits our needs, and we make and we only make connection with others at our own convenience. That's the wilderness of independence. Have you ever walked through a mall and felt overwhelmed with the desire to buy something you don't need for no real reason at all? All of you are going, no, not me. <laughs> uh, try Christmas. There's something about walking through the mall at Christmas time and you feel like you have to buy. And now it's no longer Boxing Day of sales. They have sales on before Boxing Day, just after Black Friday, which is... Where did that come from? came from the States. It's just bang right in your face about the wilderness of consumerism. Have you ever overheard a dishonoring conversation and suddenly you felt angry and resentful when before you were really in perfect peace? Have you ever heard a dis have you ever watched a movie, read a book or even listened to a song and found yourself questioning or doubting things you used to feel convicted about? Why am I bringing that up is because we overestimate our own self-determination and we underestimate our environment. In one sense, Christopher McCandless was work, looking for a physical wilderness because he was tired of a spiritual wilderness he was already in. And this is what we're attracted to we can feel the falseness in our society. We can feel ourselves getting dumber as we watch endless controversies on nightly news. We can feel ourselves getting duller as we get exposed to more violence, racial ignorance, crude language, and sexual perversion. We feel ourselves getting drier as we become to realize the world around us is a wilderness. Is it even possible to thrive in a world like ours, especially when we see how vulnerable we are? Critics of Christopher McCallus don't attack his love for the outdoors. Instead, they criticize his lack of preparation and experience. He didn't have a map. He didn't tell anyone where he was going. He didn't have a plan for food and shelter. In short, he wasn't prepared for the wilderness. It wasn't, his motives weren't good. It was that he brought needless, unnecessary hardships upon himself. And did you know, you, this is a true story, he died only a quarter of a mile away from a major Alaskan highway. The key... The thriving in the wilderness is, simp is simple to understand that it takes a lifetime to put into practice. And it's found in Jeremiah's check, text, chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. And I'm going to read those for you. And uh, maybe you can follow along in your Bible or 
your personal device. Verse 5. The Lord, thus the Lord says. I'm reading the uh, English Standard Version. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an inhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So, in Jeremiah's text, here is the key to surviving in the wilderness. It takes a lifetime to put this into practice. But it's crucial for every one of us here in this room to live it out each and every day of our life. Verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, nor does it cease to bear fruit. The question is, do we trust God? Now, many of you are going to go, if I raise my hand, that means this is a trick question. It's not something that we should just lean on to our own understanding here, but trust is, is cultivated over time. Trust grows through shared experiences. Trust is an ongoing choice, not just a feeling. Trust is a choice, not, an un, not a, just a feeling. There's a lot of Christians that assume that they trust God because they know that trusting is the right virtue to have. But their anxiety, their disconnection, their independence, and general weaknesses say otherwise. They may claim to be feasting, but they're still wasting away. When we don't have trust, we only have a couple of things that we can build our relationship on. And there's two things here. One is performance, and the other is indifference. You see, sometimes we have come to God and we, we, because we know we have all the rules, we have all the things that we need to do, and we, it becomes a performance. If I do all of these things correctly, I can twist God's arm and He will come through for me. And then there's the other side where there's indifference. Because we haven't really experienced what we, the pain relief of life, in order to deal with the 
the pain, the disappointment, we become indifferent. We allow ourselves to just pass, be passive-aggressive, so to speak. We let it be said, but really we, we know it's going to be different. The second option is really deadly. The first option is we try to live to unspoken expectations and we act in a way that we think God wants us to act. The second is we largely keep ourselves to ourselves to avoid disappointment. Verse 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He'll dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an inhabited salt land. Um, Jeremiah is describing the land around the Dead Sea. It's, you can't grow anything there. It's salt. You see, what does it mean to to trust in the arm of flesh or to trust in man to make our own strength our, our only strength. What is that? That's really the natural life. When you rely on your own strength and when you think you can survive on the wilderness on your own, when you think you don't really need God or depend on Him, when you're fine with good theology instead of seeking an encounter, You see, sometimes we, are, we have the default to go to the natural life and we... I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I think sometimes the church is guilty of living in the natural more than the spiritual. And they wonder, and, and the church wonders why there is no life. We wonder why we're still in the wilderness is because we are still living in our own natural strength. And, and, we're, and, and we're somewhat fine with that. Because if I really truly trust God, I'm going to have to go against the flow. I'm going to have to, in my own mind, in my own thinking, go against reality. I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to go nutty because reality is saying this, and if I trust God, that means I'm here. It's like Barb described, you're in the hallway, and the hallway's hell. When you're trusting in yourself and looking back at what's happening, you are trusting in yourself. And Jeremiah says trusting in yourself is turning away from the Lord. You see, the wilderness will not kill you all of a sudden. It happens gradually when your heart is not being sustained by the wellspring of God. And eventually, 
you'll be spending more energy than you're receiving and you will die of starvation. And you're only an hour away from civilization. If you stop going to church or stop joining your friends for coffee or you stop refreshing your spirit or if you stop seeking an encounter with God, you'll be fine for a little while. But you aren't bigger than the wilderness. And though your world is not out to get you, life has a way of wearing you down. You are designed to live with God inside you, giving your life and sustaining you through difficulty. And how does that happen? Trust creates the wellspring so that you can thrive in the desert. So how do I cultivate that relationship of trusting in God? Good question. Glad you asked. <laughs> Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, is an old mainstay, but needs to be brought out here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths your straight, make straight your paths. So, how do you develop a relationship of trusting in God? Number one, let go of your own understanding. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? Just let it go. What kind of understanding is keeping you in the wilderness? Are there some unspoken expectations which require you to be per performing in? Are you, you know all the different things you need to do for God and therefore it puts you into that vein that He's going to, you've twisted the arm so to speak so that He's going to relieve that pain, that situation, that circumstance. Have you got it figured out that only God's going to work this way? Big, huge box. God works in this box. Outside of that box, He does. It's not there. Those two are expectations that can cause us to, to challenge our trust. You see, when we perform for expectations, we figure we have... We have figured that we have God all figured out. If I just 
tithe, God will bless me. In a way, that's true. But when we use it to twist God's arm, we're using it as manipulation. If I just worship, God will fix my problems. If I just pray hard enough, God will bring the breakthrough. Those things aren't trust. It's an, it's an economy in an exchange where God becomes the divine vending machine of the results we want. But when we trust, we embrace surrender and dependency and humility and childlikeness. And we do not claim to have life figured out. We do not want to make it on our own. Church, this is the understanding that we have to let go and be the children of God that He's called us to be. Life is not all of what you figured it out to be. It's totally different when you can see it and live it from His perspective. Not from the expectations that you think He wants from you. He desires a relationship with you. And out of the abundance of that relationship comes a rivers of living water that flow out from your innermost being. That's what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. He's designed to ebb and to flow and to move through our lives as we have relationship with Him. When I begin to use my things that are expected of me as my manipulation tool, I've gone to a totally different place. And what happens in that regard, if you keep in that vein, can cause disappointment. There are so many Christians that are live in the expectation of performance that when God doesn't come through, through the vending machine of the performance, they become disappointed and they walk straight out of those doors. It's true. And it's happened even here. You may not, they may not have said it, but because of the disappointment of the lack of follow-through from performance, they have allowed disappointment to totally allow the wilderness to overtake their lives. As your pastor, I'm asking you to not succumb but to thrive in a wilderness. You're called to be in the wild, and that wild is not there to overtake you. You were called to bring life to it. And that comes through our relationship, through encounters, through in, in, uh, experiencing Him in such, a, in such a degree that we can bring life to the dead places. The people aren't called to your performance. They're called to your life. They see what God is doing in you and they want what that is. They're not asking for performance and saying, well, how would you do that to get there? That's a secular way of thinking, but it is not the design of God. Scripture says that the kingdom of God is within you. It's going to go somewhere. 
It's going to influence and cultivate a thriving place, even in the midst of wilderness. Can I be so bold as to say this? That in, in this particular season of which the church is in, there is, there is such an importance for developing your relationship with Him in the midst of wilderness. We are so, we are so channeled to performance and the appearance of having it all together. I'll give you an example. My wife has been after me for the last two or three weeks if we could use the hot tub. She sees on Facebook that people are using their hot tub in the last two or three weeks. I'm going, how in the world do you use your hot tub in minus 36, 37, minus 40 degrees? I'd be frozen before I got to the tub. I'm willing to try. <laughs> She is willing to try. I am not. <laughs> my, my last bill for electricity. <laughs> and it wasn't the coldest things of the month. <laughs> You're taking a second off. <laughs> Our normal bill of electricity is about 150 to 80 $80 a month. My bill that I just paid was $659. I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep the lid on my hot tub. <laughs> the point of that, all what I was trying to get across is... <laughs> my wife is disappointed. But the understanding is, is that life always looks from the perspective of out there as something that you have to gravitate and have. I would love to have her have a hot tub in the middle of winter. But the aspect is, is that I can't drive my life from the experience that other people have or what they have appeared to give me through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of those things. You see, we have, we have created a life of, of, of something that is way out there, and we think that because everybody else is doing it, or everything else is having life, that somehow we have now gotten to this wilderness of expectations that we can't meet, we can't enjoy. And the thing is, church, you're that is the lie of the the world. That's the wilderness of the world that's causing that. I'm not against the social media. All I'm saying is you can't allow you can't focus your life on social media. What's the second thing? We acknowledge him in everything. Acknowledging him in everything is called worship. The discipline of a life of worship is the surest way to cultivate trust. 
In an environment of worship, we embrace God for who He is, and we embrace ourselves for who God says we are. Worship creates a greenhouse in the middle of the wilderness. Worship gives us a wellspring in the desert. Worship is not about getting an encounter so we can scrape by. Worship is not about an insecure God being reminded of what He has forgotten. Worship creates the environment where we learn to trust Him. And, where, and, and as we trust Him, we begin to thrive. Worship only becomes a lifestyle if we train ourselves to participate in the moments of worship we already have. We lift our hands, we lift our voices, we shout, we clap, we declare, we dance, we celebrate, we mourn, we kneel, we repent, we proclaim. Because these are the things that build trust instead of performance or indifference. And in every worship service, you will see three responses to God. You will see trust, you will see performance, or you'll see indifference. Some people perform so they can earn an encounter with God. Their desire is healthy, but the passion might not be sustainable. And over an entire life, of in the wilderness. And some people are indifferent to the presence of God, believing they can only make, the, make in the wilderness on their own, cultivating a wellspring through praise. But every time someone really enters into worship, what are they actually doing? They're trusting Him. That's what it means to enter in. God gets to define the environment I'm in. God gets to define the environment that you are in. Is God defining your environment or are you defining your environment? Or is, the, is Facebook defining your environment? Is someone else saying this is your environment? When I'm acknowledging Him I no longer feel like I'm in a wilderness. There have been time and periods of time in my life and seasons in which this is so true. There are times where the environment and the wilderness seems to overtake and feel like it's pressing in and it's going to overtake everything of the, thri- of the, of the, uh, the fruitfulness of life. It begins to gnaw and say, what you are believing in is not true. It starts to rob and subtract and take away from the very essence of life itself. And so often we in our own understanding, we use certain things in order to dumb down that attack. But it's in those moments where we would come to God and define the environment through His eyes that I, I have learned that I can leave my prayer closet or get off my knees and realize that it's okay. God's more concerned about building me than He is about taking the pain out of the 
taking the pain out of me because of the environment. Verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah isn't saying your heart is always evil no matter what. He's drawing your attention to what happens to your noble heart in the wilderness if it isn't trusting in God. Without a wellspring in the wilderness, you will convince yourself that you are doing fine even when you are dying. A life of worship isn't necessary because God is insecure or because he's, we're trying to learn something from Him. A life of worship is necessary because God has called you out into the wilderness and you will only thrive there as you learn to trust Him. As I'm reading those words, I'm going, oh, this is so good. This is like... It's like breathing new air and oxygen into the room. Because basically, church, if we don't know how to thrive in the wilderness, we will succumb to its to the environment that it is creating. I have the luxury of being able to sit in a, in a political environment and I see, a, I see the political environment in Canada begin to become very angry. And I'm, so, and I'm, one, and I, I, I'm just using this as an example to say that that environment as, we, as it continues to grow to try to get something done or something changed because of, of bad leadership is maybe one way to do it, but it is an environment of wilderness thinking. Church, there is life in the kingdom. There is life in the kingdom. There is life for you, there is life for me, and it's not based on the environment of who's in power. It's not based on who's giving your check. It's not based in the relationships that you do or don't have. It's not based in the job that you may think is good or not. Church, the environment of the wilderness is there to, to really create your dependency for Him. And as you walk in that trust with Him, He creates the life that allows you to have the history with Him so that you can see the goodness of God run after you. You won't know Him running after you unless there is something there that He is creating in and through you for you to hold in the midst of darkness and of dryness and of nothingness and of promises that are yet to be fulfilled. According to Jeremiah, here is the result of cultivating a relationship of trust with God. According to verse 8, you will be rooted in every storm.
I don't care who the prime minister is or whether there's pipelines or not. The word says, I'm rooted. I'm rooted. Whether the economy is good or bad. It says also that you will no longer be afraid even in the middle of pressure. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It says, according to verse 8, that your leaves will remain green when the other trees are dropping theirs to conserve their energy. You will no longer suffer under anxiety even when there is drought and you do not have enough. You will be fruitful as an effortless consequence of your surrender. You are all called to an adventurous life. But God is not trying to make your circumstances easier. He's trying to make you bigger. And the true adventure of life is being able to go into any environment knowing you are still able to thrive. The future God has for us into the wild the kingdom grows up in the midst grows up amidst the angels and demons and wild beasts will you cultivate trust through the discipline of surrendered worship or will you hope that your own strength and willpower is enough Those are pretty awesome questions to be asking ourselves. I don't know about you, but when I, can, when I said to you last week that I could scream the goodness of God running after me, I literally, through all of my experiences over my life that I had going through, I could see the goodness of God running after me. It's when I lose sight of who He is and choose to live in my own strength that the adventure becomes my burden and I no longer have an answer to what is inflicting on me. We want that life, that abundant life that allows us to be on the mountaintop and look down on the circumstances and the things that are happening all around us. We want that. We're desperate for it. And it's there for us to dwell in. All it takes is the choice 
of trust. Not in your own understanding, but in everything you do, you acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight.